Welcome to the Strata Leadership Show, a podcast designed to help you gain clarity, lead effectively, and drive results for yourself, your team, and your organization. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Miller. Well, today on the show, we have someone that I have just an incredible amount of respect for as a leader, as a communicator, and for as someone who just has passion about making life better for other people. And I'm so grateful that he took the time to be a part of our show today because I know for a fact that he does not have time to do a show today. And so I'm so thankful to have um, Mr. Lee Rowland here today. Lee, welcome to the Strata Leadership Show. Thank you, and it is my absolute pleasure. Well, Lee, you and I have known each other for a while. You are one of Oklahoma's most respected educators, someone that has been looked to as a guide on how to be an effective leader. And so just jumping right in, you've had an amazing career in which you have overcome an amazing number of obstacles to maximize good. Mm -hmm. But if you could go back in your career, and if you could have been taught or told one thing that you uh, would have helped you in your career, what's one thing you wished you would have known when you began? just to know, just to move, have the permission to move slow. I think as leaders, we assume that, and rarely did I do it, but there are sometimes I move too quickly. And just giving yourself the permission to not move too slow and to not know everything. And that is a puddle that we can find ourselves in too easily because I'm the head coach, because I'm the pastor, because I'm the CEO, I'm supposed to know everything. I'm supposed to know it now. And I wish that I had known that, hey, you can push the pause button and can tell them, circle back around here in an hour, tomorrow, whatever. But yeah, I wish I'd known that much. <laughs> well, it took about 20 seconds for the listeners to realize why I asked you to be a part of this podcast. I have spoken to so many leaders over the years, and I'm so grateful for that. Nobody has said what you just said. And what you just said is worth the price of admission. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. So looking at your life and looking at the idea of I don't have to know everything. I don't do everything tomorrow. There's a pacing that goes with that. I'm assuming along the way, you had other people who poured into your life like you are pouring into other people's lives now. Can you tell us about someone in your life, another leader, a mentor, someone who helped make an impact on you and who you would become? So Nathan, and to your listeners, I am twice your age uh, and I'm super cool though. So I'm, I'm part of this new age, <laughs> you know, you're, I'm 61, but I, I act like I'm 21, 31. But I share that to say that, Nathan, my era and the community and the culture that I came from, this whole idea and concept of mentorship just wasn't spoken about. It wasn't spoken into. I didn't know anything about it. And again, from the community and the culture I came, that was not language that was popular and well-known. So really, you just kind of picked up things by watching people. And so my dad was far and away my mentor. I'm the youngest of six boys. I have a sister that's a couple years younger and she messed up my rights to, to be the baby. <laughs> but I'm the youngest of six boys. And 
I was watching, although not really aware that I was, but I was watching my dad navigate pastoring, uh, watching him navigate fathering and leadership. And so under my dad's leadership, our church built three churches, three edifices, uh, the last in which encompassed a school and in our day, even a credit union in his day. Mm -hmm. And that was well ahead of time. I don't know how many churches are doing that now. And that was in the 80s. And so just watching him asking questions and whatnot, just as a kid, my dad was that guy. And of course, me being a athlete and a football, basketball fan, I'm watching coaches, not really realizing how much I'm picking up for leadership. I'm just kind of watching these guys and didn't realize until I took the reins what I learned from those guys. Uh, amazing to me to hear of, you know, when you talk about like your dad with the church, I can only think of one or two other places that have done that, but especially in the 80s, to embark on that and to make that happen in the 80s, all the more impressive. So what I find interesting talking to leaders is that I, I really don't know any leaders who have done great things without having setbacks, at times where it didn't work, failures, now, they might look at failure differently because they could learn from it, but they, it was still something that didn't go as they'd hoped. When you look back on your life experience, is there anything that you could share with us about a time where it didn't work for you and, and how you used that as a learning opportunity? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of spoiled. God kind of spoiled me, allowed me to have a lot of success as a leader, as a principal and whatnot. But I remember on one occasion where I had assigned someone to a grade the next year, and that person did not agree with that placement for that next grade assignment. And Nathan, this person ended up filing a some kind of civil rights complaint that I violated her rights because of age or something like that. And it was a setback for me. I, I just kind of had pushed the buttons and they all just seemed to work most of the time. And then, so when this person did this, it really, really challenged me in terms of how do you respond to this person going forward? Because you're going to be working with this person and this person is super upset. And the lessons I learned from that to keep your head up, to still show this person the same kind of type of respect you would any and every other person. I had to talk to myself and I'm glad myself listened to myself because it was the right thing to do. And although I knew people that said, well, you know, you still, you still could do this. You could still do this to kind of get, kind of get back at that person. I realized at the end of the day, it wasn't the right thing to do. And my win, my ultimate win was much more. I'm so glad that I did what was right. I coined my own phrase. It's not always right to do what you have a right to do. Mm -hmm. So although I was the authority figure and I had the right, I could have made this person's life a little bit uncomfortable, if not miserable, by doing some other things. I chose not to do it. And my win was that I ultimately got my way, but I also got something even better than that. And that is the respect of the other teachers in my first principal assignment in Oklahoma City Public Schools. 
I got their respect because they saw that even in difficult situations, I was still going to be, if you would, a person of character. And I'm so glad that I didn't do a tit for tat kind of thing. I'm thankful to God. Well, that theme again of uh, right place, right time, right response, that awareness of yourself and what's going on around you. And for those emerging leaders who are listening, it's not that leaders go and and look for challenges like these. Those challenges will find you. And it is such a, any leader listening in knows exactly what it felt like in those late nights and the early mornings when he was wrestling with, what does this mean? What does this mean for my future? It's a very distinct kind of stress. And that's what leaders do. They absorb that stress. They decide, is it worth it? And they move forward. And I just, his wisdom right there, um, great stuff. So something I've known, noticed about you over the years is that you are a person, whether you know it or not, you cause other people to re-examine their values you are willing to confront that idea of this is the best that we can do and you raise the standard. So in the history of Oklahoma, I would think you'd be hard pressed to find a school that has advanced farther from the spot where they started to the spot where they finished than the schools that Lee's been a part of. But if I'm looking at that at the core, it is about values. How have you as a leader been able to communicate those values and bring other people alongside to buy into those values? As you were forming your question, I'm thinking where am I going to go, Nathan? And you probably shouldn't do that, but I did. The first thought that came to my mind was this idea of to whom much is given, much is required. And so I was given a responsibility by the state of Oklahoma and ultimately by some school districts that said that, listen here, we place our confidence in you to lead this ship. And I'm thinking, whoa, I've been given much. School with close to 650, 700 kids. I've got a great responsibility. And so what I did was look at that challenge and then decided, listen, I'm going to have to duplicate myself, my passion, my conviction, my determination. I'm going to have to multiply myself. And one of the most effective approaches I think that I took with that is having one-on-one, two-on-two, little conversations with teachers. So I would have in my staff meeting, I would meet with my teachers, with my staff. Uh, When I met with our students, I'm giving them some pretty passionate charges about let's go make this happen. Let's go take that hill. Well, I also did that in one-on-one conversations. And so it really wasn't with great intentionality. It's just who I am. So when I met with those teachers one-on-one, just to have casual conversation, I'm still sharing what's in my heart. And those teachers that they hadn't worked with that kind of passion, with that kind of conviction before. They knew that that was not just something that I said in meetings, trying to do my job. It was what's in my heart. And as they saw what was in my heart, they said, I can work, I can follow somebody like this, even if I don't agree. So Nathan, your audience, if they're not educated, they wouldn't have a clue how big of a thing this is. 
but it was huge. It is huge to teachers to want to dress very comfortably, very comfortably. Jeans is a teacher's love. Well, I just have some personal opinions about, I think when we're on a team, there's a certain kind of way that we present ourselves. So we're a baseball team. We need to all have on a baseball uniform with basketball. And so when I first got to my schools, I asked my teachers to dress a certain way. And I didn't demand, I just requested. And then as they heard me talk about how much this was a passion of mine for us to be professional in every way in front of our kids, I had a teacher just called me this year. She moved out of state. She said, Mr. Rowland, I'll never forget when you asked us to do that. And she said, I was the union representative. And people said, you know what? We should file a grievance against him. And she said, but I realized how much it was just your love for the kids. And you wanted our kids to see us as people that went out of our way to give them our best. And she said, we did it. And so kind of a long-winded answer, but I think my approach to doing it was sharing privately the same and consistent message that I did when I was public and just letting people know this is my heart. And I'm going to tell you, they came on board. It was such a beautiful feeling. And it, for those that can't have the feeling, just take, get the image of a bunch of people rowing a boat in the same way, in the same direction with the same cadence. It just became so strong that they saw the person behind them splashing that water and making it go and seeing our boat move. Everybody just started getting our boat on down the, the, the waterway there. One of the things that anybody who's ever heard you speak, there's a couple things. One, when someone has heard you speak, they will remember where they were when they heard you for the first time. And two, depending upon where you are, sometimes you have to gauge how much passion they can take. And so I've watched you start and you gave them as much as they could take and you gave them a little bit more and you gave them a little bit more and you could just see this passion start to become this contagion in that room. And one of the things that you'll find about Lee is what he is telling you is going to be the least self-congratulatory version. And what he's really talking about is helping people make a decision to pursue the best that they could possibly bring every day to work for the sake of those kids. And so when he's talking about this, he's making it sound like I kind of suggested this. He is never going to ask people to, to do more than he's going to do. And the result of that is he's a legend among educators. So you've seen people for decades and different types of leadership stuff. They come in and they make it or they don't or this or that. But when you're looking at leaders, just based upon your experience, I'm going to ask you a completely unfair question. Okay. What is one, just one, what is one characteristic that you believe every leader should possess? One would be character. Far and away, the greatest. Absolutely. Unequivocally. Character. Uh, <laughs> again, a perfect answer. I love it. And so looking at that idea, it kind of feeds into the next question that I want to get at because the need for leadership in our lifetime, and he acts like he's twice as old as I am. I'm going to let him keep saying that, although it's not even close to true. In our lifetime, the challenge 
of our time is where are the leaders? And so you've got all of these needs for leaders to step up and to step into what's going on in our world right now. What do you think is the biggest challenge that leaders are facing today? Uh, I think the biggest challenge that leaders are facing is not necessarily going along with public opinion. I've seen this year, I think a number of leaders in the political realm, in the faith realm, just they're fearful of how people would respond and the actions that maybe people would even take if they didn't say what people wanted them to say. I want to go back to that guy that I told you, the late Dr. DeWitt Rowland. Just, I mean, watching him from a child's eye address the church and challenge the church and saying, this is the right thing. And whenever it was not comfortable, still standing on that truth. I think leaders today are having a very difficult time not going along with what people expect them to say. Nathan, I think you know this. Our, our readers don't. I am African. I mean, our listeners, I'm an African-American and I have a great deal of ethnic pride. I will not say what my brothers want me to hear. I will say what I feel like is the truth. I have people that don't look like me and have that I may offend when I tell that truth or they may welcome it. My job, my responsibility to Lee Rowland, the person I'll have to look at at least twice in a day, sometimes more, but at least twice in a day, in the morning when I brush and in the evening when I brush, I have to be able to face that guy. And did he stand up for what was right? And did he say what was right, whether or not it was popular or not? And I think some of our some of our great men and women in this country have sold out to popularity. They've sold out to partisanship. I don't think it's, I don't think it matters, brother. I'm going to stand on the truth. And I'd like for my, that to be said when Lee Rowland uh, has breathed his last breath, the guy stood for what was right. And I think that's why you're so respected. And even those who may not agree at the moment with, with what you're saying, uh, respect you as a person. You say hard things to people, but you're also standing there with them when they're hearing it. It's not a flyby kind of thing. It's I'm saying this because I believe this is part of the healing. And I mentioned that, I've shared this before, I think, but a couple of years ago, I had a shoulder surgery. I'd never had anything like that before. The injury had been there a long time from an old football injury that had gotten worse. And so I went through the surgery, everything is fine. Then you go to physical therapy. And my schedule's a mess, and so I ended up having five different physical therapists over the course of a few, several weeks. But I had this range of physical therapists. One that would kind of hold your arm and kind of rock it, and, and I'm not sure what we were doing, but they were doing that, all the way to this one guy who he would cause so much pain in me that I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass out before I right. let this guy know how, how bad this hurts. And the reason I was willing to let that guy do that is because I had a relationship with him. I knew who he was. And he was saying to me, I'm going to have to hurt you to heal you. And so how much healing do you want? And, and I say that because the, one of the other guys I had said, hey, when this is all said and done, what kind of rotation will I have? What kind of this or that? He said, I don't know, maybe 80%. And I thought, I don't want that guy again. 
I want the guy that is willing to do what hurts to be able to experience the healing. For those of you who are looking for a keynote presenter, someone that you can count on to say things with passion and wisdom, I don't know anyone who's more effective than that at that than Lee because he loves you enough to tell you hard things so that we can experience the healing. Where does that courage come from for you? I hate to be so redundant, but my dad, and I think many of his contemporaries of his day, although I saw him, I think, at a um, double dose of that, if you would, but he would tell hard truths. Uh, Nathan, you know, you're one of the sharpest, most intelligent, gifted people I've ever met. And so we've had conversations before, but Nathan, I'll never forget my dad doing a eulogy in the old days of a young man who made some poor decisions and the challenge that my dad gave to that audience, it was not some, uh, I mean, those people that were in, those attendees, family and friends, it was, it was, it blew me away. The courageous challenge and message that he gave to the attendees, it was not necessarily flattery about that person. It was not flattery about that person, that deceased person. That young man made some poor choices, uh, went to prison and his life was taken in prison. And I couldn't believe the sermon. I wasn't, I wasn't taking notes on paper, but I remember watching him, what he did. And I didn't realize that the nut didn't fall very far from the tree. It was my charge to do the same thing. And so I used to tell my teachers, I will always be a tart taste in your mouth. Never too sweet, but never too sour. So you'll never just say, mm, you'll always say, mm, it, because they know I'm going to love them. And when I speak to audiences, I'm with them. I'm saying, I'm not really trying to accuse you or condemn you. I'm trying to give us a charge. Nathan, we're the, arguably the first generation, and I know I'm getting off topic here just a little bit, but we're arguably the first generation that will not give our children a better America than we had. Mm. Think about it. I grew up in the 60s and 70s. I mean, in the midst of some crazy poverty and in the, in the midst of some crazy racial stuff. It was crazy. Um, our listeners will have to Google what was going on. Google the songs. It was crazy. And yet, we can make a case that things are worse today than they were yesterday because, because the environment is a part of the, the worseness that we're giving our kids. And I don't want to see it. And I don't believe, let me share this real quick, Nathan. I was speaking a couple of years ago at a school and we're walking out of the assembly and I'm giving all the kids high five and a little precious little chocolate girl. She says, Hey, Mister, why were you so loud? <laughs> I said, sweetie, please forgive me, kind of, sort of. But let me tell you something. If you were my little girl and you were about to walk in the street and a car was coming or not, I wouldn't whisper to you. I wouldn't say, hey, baby girl. No, 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 no. I would yell and say, get out of the street. I want our listeners, I want our fellow citizens to know that we're getting in the street and we're going to be run over. Our country is arguably 
the embarrassment to countries that we were the model from. And I hope that people are feeling some kind of shame and some kind of challenge to do and be better. It is certainly what is on my heart. Thank you. And I I want to just affirm this. The difference between Lee and a lot of other people, if you are fueled by hate, it will only take you so far. But if you are fueled by love, it will take you all the way. And when he is talking about these things, I want to be really clear here. If you hear that and you think that he hates a thing, stop for a minute. This is a man who loves it so much. People, the place that we call home and and that he is willing to be uncomfortable so that you would be uncomfortable so that we can have a better future. And that's the difference. And so if I look at what his dad did, I look at what he has done and is doing, that's what happens when people are fueled by love. There's enough. There's enough. Yes. So wrapping us up, you said, you know, growing up, there wasn't something that was um, like mentoring in that, in a sense that we might talk about today. Maybe that's better. Maybe that's worse. I, I don't know. But if I'm looking at the resources that you might recommend to someone trying to become a more effective leader to make an impact, what do you think are some of the things that people can look to or where can they go to become a more effective leader from your perspective? I think that's pretty simple. I think maybe difficult at the same time. I think we need to look at people that are truly the embodiment, truly living that out. And what I mean by that is this book I read called A Bible, this gentleman called Jesus, he says, uh, who do people say that I am? And I think we need to look at what do people say about Nathan Mellon? What do they say about Lee Rowland? What do they say about different people? And when we hear things that we feel like are really attributes of people that they may not be Fortune 500 companies. They may not be leading churches with 5,000 or 20,000 members. But I think we need to look at people's stories and see who do people say that they are and read their stories and try to reach out and connect with those people. But the propensity or rather the proclivity of us that we have is to look and see what the rock stars are doing rather than sometimes the greatest person that you'll ever meet is your neighbor next door mm-hmm. that that lives that out and look at those people and ask them how do you view life how did you get to where you are but i would caution people again not look at the rock stars look at the people that they may not look all that much different than you and look at their walk and look at what people say about them, not necessarily how far they got, because we don't know that part of the story, how they got there. Well, you are always a source of inspiration and there's no easy way to live like that. And so thank you for choosing to use your many talents and abilities to help other people. We're so grateful that you've been a part of of the show today. Thank you, Mr. Roland, for spending some time with us. For our, thank you. For our listeners, there's nothing easy about leadership, but it, 
there have to be things that you care about so deeply that you're willing to endure hardship and do hard things for the sake of other people. And when you listen to the passion of our guest today, Lee Roland is living out what he's talking to you about. That does not make it easy. And so reach out to the leaders who've made an impact in your life, encourage them, let them know that there's things that they've said, the actions that they've taken have benefited your life because encouragement is needed by everyone, especially leaders in a time where it may not be popular to say the thing that is true. So for leaders, it's our job to set the pace, to love people, to care about them, and to use whatever we have to open doors of opportunity for others. So today, choose to make a difference. And we're thankful that you've been a part of the Strata Leadership Show. We'll see you next time.